You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. As vaccine rollouts begin in South Africa, I think many businesses are still reeling from last year's uh, harsh lockdown regulations. Some have barely survived, others uh, haven't. And I think for corporate South Africa to truly return to normal, most of the population is going to need to be vaccinated. That much is clear. Now, from March uh, to April of last year, the hard lockdown had a devastating impact uh, on trade and the economy, with South Africa's GDP shrinking more than 7% uh, from the prior year. And that's uh, levels that were last seen in 2012. Vaccinating the population is certainly going to accelerate economic recovery and prevent businesses uh, who rely on international trade from further closures. However, according to a latest NIDSCRAM survey, it shows that 29% of South Africans are still hesitant about getting COVID-19 jabs. But I think even more concerning is the recent delay in the J&J vaccine rollout, uh, with little in the way of a sign yet from the FDA on whether J&J has the go-ahead. Well, I've invited four uh, women business owners to share their insights uh, about resilience, about vaccine rollouts and third waves and the lockdown last year and its uh, effect on their businesses. The businesses range from the film industry to events and to alcohol, and members all of the entrepreneurs' organization in Cape Town. Julia Finnis-Bedford is founder of Amazing Spaces and director of Amazing Spaces Lifestyle Investments. Kate Shepard, founder of Rebel Collective. Simone Musgrave is founder and owner of Musgrave Crafted Spirits, a very well-known pink gin, and Leslie Vartikane is uh, the founder and vice chairman of CWDI and founder and director for Over the Rainbow. So ladies, welcome. Thanks for joining us to uh, talk about your experience through this pandemic, a once in a generation experience. And uh, Julia, I think Amazing Spaces is a very well-known uh, film and locations agency down in the Western Cape. Uh, so I can just imagine that your business took a severe knock when our borders shut down. Just tell us a little bit more about how you came to start Amazing Spaces. Uh, 20 odd years ago now, I was freelancing the film industry. And in fact, in those days, we never, there was no such thing as a locations agency. So there was a, a gap in the industry, which I went for. And from day one, it's been successful, growing every year, which has been fantastic. Um, the, the service to international production in particular is that anybody who has access to the internet can see what locations are available to shoot in our beautiful city. And um, naturally, obviously, most of our clients being international coming to shoot mm. over the summer season. And I mean, the Cape Town Film Studios has been one of the standout successes over the last while. We have a competitive currency, competitive location to the European market, all of these driving forces, the skills in Cape Town as well. But with borders shut, what happened to your top and bottom line? Well, pretty scary for most of us. But um, you know, obviously, during hard lockdown, business stopped completely. Uh, we're still in the recovery phases and at about 50% of revenue because people are still very cautious about traveling. Um, as we rely on those international people coming in, uh, we foresee it still set for a few months before, you know, as you mentioned, the vaccination comes in and people start feeling safe to travel again. Uh, was a lot of the uh, excess capacity taken up by the local film and production industry? And I've got a few friends in the stage creative industry, actors, who said there was some work that was taken up uh, by TV and, and film, but it certainly didn't uh, cover the loss. No, exactly. I mean, we're very fortunate, but because we've been going for a long time, we have a very big local client base, which, you know, kind of kept us ticking over. But as you say, I mean, the, the volume of the work is just not there in terms of what we used to. So it's been, you know, we've had to 
cut our bottom lines. Unfortunately, we're in a position we had to retrench staff who'd been with us for a very long time. So very, very tough times, but we, we've managed to get through and, and do hope for a better future. I mm. do have quite a lot of clients who are in, the, in particular in the service industry who w work with international clients feeling quite bullish that mm. there will be mm. a return this coming season and mm. that people are a bit fed up with not traveling and they will come to, to our yeah. country. Yeah, I, I'm reading a lot of reports at a macro level likening where we're heading to the roaring 20s. You know, we just had the 1918 Spanish flu, the end of the First World War, and there was this collective exhale as the world went into an era of uh, flappers and jazz and uh, huge hedonism. It was the CEO of L'Oreal talking about that. We certainly hope we see a repeat of that again. Uh, Kate, coming to you now, and the world is a, a crazy place at the moment, but before COVID, what was your entrepreneurial vision? <laughs> yeah, so uh, slightly different uh, 18 months ago to where I am now, I must be honest. Um, I joined the wonderful EO with a very different business called Something Different, which was an events design business. So as you can imagine, March last year was quite crippling for us. So unfortunately, uh, Something Different hasn't made it through this uh, pandemic. But uh, new things have been birthed and life has very much changed. But uh, sort of persevering through has been the motto, really. Well, something different is exactly what you're doing at the moment. Then you pivoted into offering video conferencing and uh, virtual branding to help spruce up those <laughs> meetings. And what you can see, lovely backdrop that uh, you've got over there. Just take me through that process mentally, because uh, I often chat to the likes of Pablo Fatidis and he says the successful entrepreneurs are those that don't get caught stuck like a deer in the headlights. They realize that the ground underneath them is changing and very quickly pivot or, or move, change tack to a different direction. I hate the word pivot. We need to find a new one. <laughs> Kate, uh, what was going through your mind at the time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I think pivot's been used a lot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we had to react extremely quickly. Not only had all of us, you know, lost our business, uh, we'd also lost our income. So we had to react really quickly. Um, I was very fortunate also to uh, work with Les a little bit uh, in, in one of her amazing books. But one of the stories in there is about a mask business that we started. So a very quick turnaround within literally three days of lockdown. Uh, we were those people that started making masks uh, and continued to do that for much of the time. For three months, that was our sole income. Uh, it was unbelievable, the uptake. And from there, just continue to kind of find a niche and move with it. So again, realizing we're all on Zoom, creating, you know, beautiful Zoom backgrounds that weren't actually from Zoom where you disappeared into the <laughs> into the background. And um, just finding those spots. We also started doing beautiful gifting. I went into partnership with a very good friend of mine and it was called Bag of Joy. Again, trying to find joy sort of in a time of hopelessness. Yeah, I, I think that's a great message is uh, what do uh, consumers want at a time like this. They certainly don't want to be reminded of just how dire the circumstances are. They want a little bit of hope. They want uh, a little bit of light relief and entertainment as well. And, and Leslie, I mean, if you look at, uh, I mean, you're also in the event uh, management game and overnight, the rug was pulled out uh, from underneath that industry. Uh, I really miss standing in front of a live audience and feeling the energy of a crowd, but we have to uh, adapt. And so everything moved into the hybrid or, or virtual space. Uh, just tell me uh, about your experience going back into 2020, the end of 2019, the eventing industry was actually on a bit of a high. Michael, absolutely. I mean, we just won the contract for the RAND show. I'm sure you know the RAND show quite well. And we were so excited. I mean, this is one of our biggest contracts we've ever won. 
10 days before opening of the ranch show. So you can imagine all the work that had gone into it. And, you know, a show like that takes almost a year to plan. So you can imagine the, you know, the energy and everything that had gone into it. And suddenly, as you so rightly say, that rug just getting pulled right from underneath us. Um, so, yeah, we went into a very dark time. Unfortunately, sadly as well, I had to retrench uh, probably 20 of my staff. And I re reckon this is probably, a, you know, between a five and a seven year setback for us. Um, I had stepped down as CEO of my agency uh, due to my husband having a terrible motorbike accident the year before, but I really felt that I was more of a wartime CEO than um, Janine who I'd put in place. So I stepped back in to really navigate and help my team navigate this, this crisis. And you know, I look back today and of the lessons learned, and I really did try and stay positive. Um, as Kate so rightly mentioned, I wrote a book called Hope Stories. And just to step away from that fear and mm. stay in that hope um, mm. zone. Mm. And, you know, fear shuts you down. And I, when I looked at my team on calls like this, I just saw that deer in the headlight. And I'm like, we have to mark this time. We have to do something positive. And we did write this very sweet little book called Hope Stories just to also see what other entrepreneurs were doing in this time, you know, adapting, pivoting, transforming, doing all those incredible things. And as you say, there's a certain amount of resilience yeah. that entrepreneurs do have. And just to um, garner some of that energy and resilience from them also helped see me through. It's so interesting you mentioned that. I was chatting to Simone Cooper, the uh, head of Standard Bank Business Banking, the other day. And the one thing through her book that she's been absolutely amazed by is the resilience of the entrepreneurs. Uh, the, the much smaller businesses are under the, the kind of medium to large caps that they service. And a big part of that uh, is the fact that they didn't go and take more debt. They trimmed the sales, they cut costs where they had to. Sadly, a lot of that is uh, retrenching staff, but they're retrenching staff to stay in business so that you can be sustainable and hopefully employ into the future. And I think there's a very important message there to policymakers in, in, in how they structure grants versus loans versus uh, you know, their, their tour scheme in the future. I want to come back on to a point that you did mention, though, about your husband, who uh, had a, a terrible motorbike accident. Um, I, I hope he's okay. Yeah, thankfully, he is full, fully recovered. So it is a miracle. It was actually exactly two years ago uh, yesterday that um, his motorbike accident, which was a terrible, anything could have happened. But wow. um, yes, uh, yeah, thank you for yeah. asking. He is 100% fine. Yeah, but I think within that as well, an important lesson for entrepreneurs because life happens around you and often business is about leaping from one challenge to the next and to be able to do so while landing on your feet. Uh, Simone, uh, the Musgrave Gin brand has certainly grown in leaps and bounds. You founded in 2015 the Pink Gin initially. Uh, you've just recently gone through a brand, Respruce. But I don't know how many people are actually aware that your entrepreneurial journey started with uh, baby food. Just take me through that and the lessons perhaps that you took from from that initial foray into the world of entrepreneurship. Absolutely. So, like all good moms, when they have babies, you know, they think of ways to stay at home, and uh, that was certainly what was in going through my head. I just come back from a year living in New Zealand and inspired by their baby food or their childcare in general, and thought, well, I don't want to go back to work. I want to raise my children, and and uh, I managed to start a little baby food business in my kitchen and sold to a couple of thousand ladies. Uh, baby City Pick and Pay kind of likes it. I was way ahead of my time, and I always say it was my degree in retail 
FMCG branding and marketing and um, didn't make a whole bunch of money, but I certainly learned a lot of lessons during that time. Um, so, so that was my start of being an entrepreneur and um, hopefully I'll never go back into baby food again. <laughs> but I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that, that was the first thing when, when I became a father for the first time, I looked around at the offerings and thought, there is a huge gap for uh, dual income households where you don't have all the time to go and make those little um, uh, pureed foods yourself, but there's just sugar laden stuff on the shelves. So there, was a, there is still a huge gap there, I believe. You, you then spent a bit of time at RCL, so you understand the branding game. And as I said, the Musgrave Gin brand is really strong at the moment, but even the strongest brands can't withstand a total ban on your product. I mean, how did that impact you last year? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the, sh the difference with, uh, you know, your business being zeroed because tourists aren't coming or events aren't happening um, and the alcohol ban is that you move from a state of legality to illegality. And I think that was really a real struggle and for my head to, to conceptualize. You know, one day the booze in my car is fine to drive around and the next day I can be arrested. And I think that really played on my mind. So it's quite difficult to pivot when you're illegal. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where I really struggled with is, you know, how do I pivot an illegal business? And, and I think going into the future now, we, you know, we, we, we sit under that threat all the time. Uh, we're obviously hoping the latest non-ban um, has given the trade a bit of, it, uh, sort of confidence. And the consumer behaviors change too. So we, we don't know when our consumers are shopping and what they're buying. And I think that's really hard for us all to predict. From a retail point of view, I think they're mm. struggling and from a brand point of view. Um, so all we've done really is continue to talk Musgrove. We talk about our brand. We talk about the wonderful things that our brand does. We make great cocktails and we keep inspiring the Musgrave fan base uh, to come back. Um, so that's, yeah, that was my focus is just keep talking Musgrave and hopefully they'll come back. What are some of those lessons that we can learn uh, and, and hopefully the policymakers will learn as well to ensure that we support these small businesses that have managed to survive? Because right now we've seen wholesale destruction of our SME base and it really is about doing as much as possible to ensure that these SMEs survive so that they can become future employers. And uh, Julia, if we look at uh, uh, your experience, uh, what, what is your major fear, your major concern as we approach a potential third wave? I think the biggest thing is that if we don't um, get vaccinated soon or if that there is a third wave, that um, it will further push our international customers to not come here. Being on the red list has obviously been a big problem for us in terms of enticing people to come here and shoot. Uh, luckily, in the film industry, as you say, I mean, that word pivots, I mean, people have been shooting remotely. Um, so literally, we shoot with a local team. And we're streaming the, the, the material back to some a client sitting in Germany, for example. Um, but I think that if you know that continues for any period of time, obviously it has an impact on business, not just my business, but in particular the tourism industry, mm. events, etc. It just has a huge impact on all of us. And that's why sometimes when you read reports of us only being uh, close to some kind of herd immunity around 2024, it, I mean, it just sends uh, frizzles of fear down your spine. As an SME, we cannot afford to be uh, locked out of global markets until that point. There's now talk of, of vaccine passports as well. Uh, Kate, uh, for you, what, what would you say is, is your greatest concern as we face a third wave and potentially here as well, one of your, your greatest lessons that you learned through this last uh, 12 months? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, a personal fear, I'm British. I haven't been home in, you know, two and a half years. So I'm sort of at that stage where, you know, missing family and friends and not being able to go overseas without serious um, issues of uh, <laughs> quarantining in horrendous hotels in the airport. So I think, you know, actual travel back and forth from a personal stance is, is massively affected. But also my market was international previously. It was very much based on large-scale conferencing, um, you know, well over the 500 mark of people, and that is always going to be affected by any kind of third wave, continuing restrictions on gatherings. Um, so, you know, the, the further this drags out, the longer it drags out the pain that we're all feeling. You know, thinking originally this could be a six-month problem, mm. it's now easily going to be a two-year problem, if not beyond. So I think the longer it takes, the longer that pain is dragged out, um, really. And then, you know, lessons-wise, goodness, <laughs> so, so many lessons. Uh, I think the biggest thing really is is the only thing you can control is what between, what's between your ears. That has been my most valuable lesson in dealing with this emotional roller coaster the crazy emotions of everybody involved you know other people's fear is often projected onto you um, and you have to manage that whether it's staff or friends or family so I would say being able to control your own mindset and really put effort and um, you know real personal growth into that my valuable valuable lessons those uh, that will stand you in good stead as you uh, build businesses out into the future and you know Leslie if you if you think that travel is the beating heart of the meeting and the events industry then human interaction has to be its soul and both of those things were removed uh, due to COVID yes we as I said earlier are doing things online now is is this the future do you see us going back to a more hybrid model in the eventing industry how do you see the chips falling when we do eventually re reach this uh, full vaccination threshold michael i certainly hope that it's going to become you know back in person i think a hybrid model is probably going to be the the, the norm but there is nothing that competes to an in-person event. And, you know, we travel a lot for EO. I'm, I'm, I'm a chapter launch expert for Africa. And, you know, you just can't launch chapters when you don't meet people and, and be in person. There is such a huge difference. So I really do hope that, um, you know, the, the Harvard model is certainly leaning towards more in-person events as the world gets vaccinated and as we kind of hopefully mm. return, return mm. to a more normal mm. um you know, status quo. I mean, I've done a couple of hybrid events. They they are challenging, but they have they have huge scope to help you innovate and broaden your reach and access and allow international delegates to come and attend without having to travel here and be here in person. Timing issues are difficult to get right, and if you don't have your backup generators in South Africa with the ESCOM trouble, uh, that that can prove a challenge as well. But we do potentially here have a a far more robust eventing model in the hybrid model in the future. Yeah, I think we will. And, and um, you know, but there's nothing to be said about, you know, shaking somebody's hand or, you mm. know, giving a child a hug or my husband has had a grandchild during lockdown. He hasn't met this, his own grandchild. You know, he, um, she's in, his daughter's in Amsterdam. So those are tragic mm. things. And, mm. you know, even with events I, I, from a time and a um, 
point of view and recording stuff like that obviously that is um that can happen but i still don't believe that there's any replacement for yeah. person. yeah well we've, we've just lost julia and that's one of those things that uh, can happen as well uh, <laughs> when you you're doing things virtually you've got to deal with the tech issue uh, simone uh, obviously being in the alcohol industry uh, you wouldn't want to see government going the full ban route again uh, are you convinced that government now realizes the knock-on effects of going into such a draconian measure uh, or is it still on the table? Your earlier point made me think that you, you feel it could still be on the table. Well, you know, um, the last ban we none of us expected. Uh, certainly the 12-hour the the announcement uh, in December was a shock to the industry. I do think the government is listening to industry bodies a little bit more. The numbers really tell the story. Are, are we are we able to lose so much tax money? And I think that is enough of a story, surely, for the government to, to look at. Um, so I, I don't know. Um, I've said it before that we won't have another ban. Uh, the nervousness still, still sits with us, although we think we're a little bit safer. Mm. Um, and all we can do is, is really, uh, you know, change our business models to cope during those times of the ban. You know, you, you employ people now with a clause in their employment contract to say, if there's a ban, you go to zero in your in, in the alcohol industry. Yeah. So well, that's how HR people are putting in the contracts. See, these are the impacts, though, and what I wanted to tease out here, and there was a lot of criticism around the Treasury's loan guarantee scheme, the 200 billion that had been set aside, and there was only 100 billion in the first tranche. I think we only ever got up to about 20 or 25 billion dispersed, but it's because entrepreneurs, if you can't see the future, if you can't forecast what your future cash flows are going to be and your revenue and your top line is going to be, you're not going to take on more debt, and what you're going to do is trim costs as far as possible, and the, the results, I think, are there for all to see in in the quarterly uh, employment numbers, which are absolutely dire. It's a national crisis at the moment. So government needs to provide certainty so that entrepreneurs can start planning. Uh, Julia, uh, from your vantage point, if you were to give a piece of advice to an entrepreneur out there listening, I know you're all part of the entrepreneurs organization, and I think networks and getting together as entrepreneurs is, is, is so critical. What would your piece of advice be to an entrepreneur who's uh, battling through this pandemic? Well, I think one would be join an organization like EO because um, we we definitely support each other. I mean, as, as you've mentioned, the entrepreneurship journey can be extremely lonely. And, you know, when we have each other to lean on and share the challenges that we face, it's just, it's critical. I, I, I must say that this organization, particularly the women, we're very lucky in Cape Town to have a very high percentage in, um, compared to the global numbers of uh, women. And that we we support each other and i think uh, that's one thing the other is that um find a mentor you know find somebody who who you can look up to who can be a positive voice and, and help you push through as you said that resilient critical so find yourself mm. with they're going to help you on that journey i mean i i, I a csr project called mama bong it's a cookie business and you know it's just a fun business that kind of gets me up in the morning and I have lots of um, people asking me, you know, how, how do I do it? And these are people who have no jobs even, who are looking to start very small businesses, even if it's just making cookies. And the thing that I say to them is, I, my, in my experience, you know, business owners are actually very willing to give their time to help other people in this country to, and to see them succeed. So I always say, just say, reach out, reach yep, out. Yep. First, we'll start. Don't wait, yeah, just start. Yeah. And reach out to people. And I, I find there's always work. 
people willing to help. Yeah, don't wait until you've got the perfectly written business plan and the absolutely perfect product. Do it, build it, iterate, build the parachute on the way down. What's your piece of advice for entrepreneurs at this time? Biggest thing really for me is to talk about it. I found my journey through this has been um, very difficult and the quieter you are and the more you keep it to yourself, um, it is it is dangerous for your mental health. So talk yeah. about it, find your community, find your women, um, speak to your family, just keep talking, that's a big thing. Um, yeah. And yeah. definitely find people who you can relate to. Um, you need to be able to share your problems with people who understand. Mm, I think mental health is a very important uh, and big issue that we don't talk enough about. Les, uh, what's your piece of advice? Well, I think it's around almost purpose over profit. You know, in me going through a crisis, I think it's very important to have a purpose and help others because I believe and through my over the rainbow business that's what we've really put forward and is we train entrepreneurs we offer that mentorship that Julia was talking about it's called our golden circle and really putting that purpose over profit first you can get back to mm. profitability later but if we look after each other and in a network like this we can all mm. you know survive and and um, and thrive. And I think people will remember those people who uh, who stood up at a time of crisis. Equally, they remember those businesses who cut and run. And there's a very large listed companies uh, who didn't uh, uh, or looked like they were nagging on their business interruption insurance cover, who I think have suffered huge reputational damage. Simone, what's your advice? I think my lesson was really to let go of what you can't control. And, you know, I had no power over this this. Uh, ban all these bans that were happening and I got myself quite worked up I actually made myself ill and I realized for what you can't change it um, getting ill is not going to change anything so letting mm -hmm. go of what you can't control and getting on with what you can and finding the thing that excites you and for me it's innovation and developing great products and you know we yeah. I, I got busy with my creative side and and that really pulled me out of that that feeling of no control so a hard thing for me is not to control everything, but uh, I've learned a good lesson. Uh, <laughs> I think the size of your smile gives it away. For most entrepreneurs, to let go of uh, being able to control things is probably one of the toughest things to do, but a great bit of advice. Thank you all for sharing your insights and experience through this uh, awful pandemic. We do hope that we can get the vaccine rolled out as quickly as possible in order to return to some semblance of normality. Julia Finnis-Bedford, founder of Amazing Spaces and director of Amazing Spaces Lifestyle Investments. Kate Shepard, founder of Rebel Collective. Simone Musgrave, founder and owner of Musgrave Crafted Spirits. And Leslie Vartikane, founder and vice chairman of CWDI and founder and director of Over the Rainbow.